Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's about uh, 200 years since the, end of, uh, since the death of George Washington, and we have an opportunity to take a look at the life and times of, and so we're going to do that with the great Willard Stern Randall. How do you do, sir? Just fine. How are you, Bradley? Great. As always, great to hear <laughs> from you, and you always have a great connection. I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. That makes a big difference. So Good. George Washington, I always thought of him as a kind of a wealthy landed person, but he wasn't that wealthy in the beginning, correct? No, he started out as a poor boy, actually. Uh, he uh, didn't have a horse in a, in a, in a, in a part of the world where you had to have a horse. Uh, he didn't have. Uh, he didn't get to go to school. Uh, actually, he had been left with uh, very little. He was left as an orphan when he was 11 years old by a mother who really didn't uh, didn't like him very much. I understand that he was humiliated by his mother, so he didn't have a great relationship with his mother. Right. Right. In, in what she, way? She. Yes. Well. She'd been widowed a couple of times, and uh, she'd been she'd today you would say she was very possessive. Anything she had, nobody else could touch. And you know she wondered she was a wonderful rider of horses, and she had good horses, but she wouldn't let her own kid ride one of them. And you know young George was kind of defiant, and he took a horse for a ride one day. Uh, and uh, it, it, it somehow it stumbled, and uh, the thing broke its neck and died. And she made up her mind from then on, really, to do absolutely nothing with him. Even when he was a general, she didn't even want to stop working in the garden when he came by with with the other generals. Uh, it, they just never connected. They never hit it off. So uh, he, he actually was sort of neglected as, as a kid. Uh, but he got very, very interested in 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 math, believe it or not, uh, and and surveying. And he just sort of went his own way from the time his father died when he was 11 years old. So King George said, if Washington gave up power, he'd be the greatest man of the 18th century. But really, wouldn't wouldn't he be in contention for being the greatest man of the 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st? I think so. Uh, one of the things I do, I'm. I'm one of C-SPAN's presidential scholars, and every few years we get to rate all the presidents from, on their performances, their, you know, the way they live, uh, the influence they've had. He's always either one or two uh, in line. It's, it's, it's Washington and Lincoln. Uh, he, he had enormous power, and he gave it up twice. He gave up the army at the end of the Revolutionary War, and he gave up the presidency after two terms. He didn't have to. He could have stayed on. He was like a king, but he would have much rather stay at home in his farms uh, and, you know, take care of, of, of business there, build his own house, etc. So you've got this great man who's really personally very, very simple. So he, for the longest time, he was happy to be um, a proud Englishman. And I guess that had something to do with the fact that his family was, uh, you know, of some note in England. And as a matter of fact, I understand that Henry VIII had granted some of his forebears some land. Yeah, they actually had a a, a manor and a, and a big country house. Um, they were very they were very royal 
uh, part of the English uh, aristocracy. Um, and and actually, when there was a when there was a revolution in England and and the king and the king was o- overthrown, uh, King Charles, uh, Washington's family was on the side of the king. They were they were they 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 fought to uphold monarchy. So it makes it really uh, strange, almost, that George Washington would be the one who fought against the king in this country. Things had to get pretty bad before it got to that point. So they lost their wealth under the government of Cromwell, and, and I guess about 1650 or so, 1657, Grandfather Lawrence right. moved, picked up the family and moved to Beverly. They actually moved to uh, America, North America. And Augustine was born exactly. there in 1694. So what about the parents, George Washington's parents? We mentioned his mother. Is there anything about his parents that would give you a, an idea that he might have qualities or they might have instilled qualities that would serve him well later? Well, his father... His father was a, a, a big, strong guy like Washington. His name was Gus. And, and Gus was back and forth to England all the time because he was trying to start iron mining and, and, and making iron in Virginia. Uh, and, and he was getting more and more land. He was getting better and better jobs in Virginia's colonial government. Um, he, he, was, he was very respected by people around him. Um, and so it, it was a, a great blow to George Washington, the, a kid, this 11-year-old, when his father died. And I think for the rest of his life, George Washington emulated, imitated a lot of his father's qualities. So in that short time, his father had a terrific influence on him. At 16, he became a surveyor. What does a surveyor do? And, 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 and what's the life of a surveyor like? Well, it, 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 in in the wilderness, which it was in Virginia and in America, surveying was terribly important. Um, so what a surveyor did basically was uh, go and uh, go through the wilderness and mark off pieces of land uh, with uh, markers that said who owned what, where the boundary lines are, exactly what what you were buying. Uh, so when when Washington's father died, uh, young George found these surveyor's tools in his shed and started experimenting with them on his in his brother's uh, garden. Uh, and the the drawings actually ex- exist in the Library of Congress. I've seen them. These drawings, and and what young Washington did, you had you had to be a very good at math. You had to be very good at ge- at geometry. So he studied math and practiced with surveying until by the time he was 16 years old, he was so good that he was being paid by a wealthy neighbor twice the going rate to survey his land. Now, the land he was out surveying, uh, you you went out into into the wilds. I mean, believe it or not, Virginia was so wild that there were wolves. The governor paid you a bounty if if you killed a wolf and and you brought you know the pelt back. You, you the surveyors were having to sleep up in trees at night uh, to protect themselves. So Washington, when he's 15 years old, goes out with a bunch of these surveyors into the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, at a month at a time, you know, and they're they're living rough. They're you know they're sl- they're sleeping in trees or they're sleeping on the ground. Uh, they're hunting for their food. Uh, it, it was like going into the Amazon jungle would be like today. Uh, so you you ha- you also had to be terrifically strong. Uh, Washington was about six four and a half. 
uh, with very broad shoulders, powerful arms, uh, and, uh, and, and legs. He could sit on a horse all day and all night when he was leading the, the Continental Army. He, when they were on the move, he could sit on a horse. So uh, he, he got very strong by dragging the surveyor's chains that you had to have from one pole to another to measure off the land. I mean, this is this is very hard work. Now you you're, you're driving around Boston and you see a guy with a, something like a stick on the ground, right. sighting through it, right. and somebody on the other end what looks like a little mirror, and they're just lining things up. In those days, you were, you were doing it in a, in a forest with underbrush. It was very very hard work, very exhausting. And, and so he got very toughened up doing this job as a young man. He was also trusted because he got everything right. Nobody ever challenged a survey that that he made, which was important because if somebody could say, well, you know, that's not quite right, uh, then you lost the land. So uh, by the time he was 16, he was a respected young surveyor on the frontier. We've gotten through the early years, and now we're getting into the pre-revolutionary military career. And one of his first outings was... Uh to a fort necessity, and that was uh, not not the the best adventure, correct? It was a disaster for him. It was a very bad start to a military career. What was going on where, the, where the, the French and the English were fighting for control of North America, and the French were moving down more from Canada, building forts as they went along the, the Great Lakes, the Ohio River, and Virginia said, well, you're, you're, on, you're on land that's ours. So the governor of Virginia asked this young officer, I mean, very young, 22 years old, he was already a militia officer by then, uh, asked Washington to take a message to the, to the French, uh, warning them off. Uh, and a thousand miles through the wilderness and, and, and back uh, in, in the wintertime, he did it. And, and then the French not only didn't go away, they started building a, a large fort uh, where Pittsburgh is now called Fort Duquesne. So Virginia gave Washington uh, uh, troops, volunteers, militia, to go out and push the French back. Uh, and and what, they, what they did uh, was uh, attack uh, what they thought was, were, were French soldiers. Uh, Washington had some Indians along with him, and they attacked a sleeping group of, of, of French soldiers and had a firefight for about 15 or 20 minutes. And when it was all over, the Indians scalped uh, the prisoners. So then you get the French sending out a major war party from Fort Duquesne. They trapped young George Washington and his men in a, in a hollow. Uh, and they're in the woods all around them shooting down. Uh, there was no way the uh, Washington's men could defend themselves. Then it started to pour rain. The gunpowder all got soaked. The men got into the rum uh, that, that was in storage. It was a complete uh, disaster for Washington. And, and he, he surrendered. 22 years old, he's surrendering. Uh, but he became a hero for it. Other Americans saw a young man willing to stand up to the enemy, the French, under any kind of conditions. So it really, in, instead of ruining his career, it, it launched it. So was that the first time to Fort Duquesne? There were two, two uh, forays to Fort Duquesne, right? One with yes, Bre the one next time. Yeah. 
The next time was with the British Army. The British sent over uh, the largest army that ever sent, and they, they, they slowly made their way from Virginia toward Pennsylvania. Washington was with them with the Virginia uh, troops. Uh, and and they were going so slowly because the British were trying to build a highway instead of a quick attack. And the French were able to surround them in a forest and kill all the officers and several hundred of, of the British soldiers. Uh, and the, the only officer left standing unwounded was young George Washington. He actually took the commanding general named Braddock and buried him underneath the road and rode wagons over so the Indians could never find his grave. So by the time he's in his early 20s, he is, he's already the most distinguished American soldier. He, he became, in that French and Indian War, he be, actually became a British general. So, uh, so for a short time, George Washington was a British general. But he did ask for a commission in the British Army, and they turned him down, right? Well, that was one of the causes of the revolution. The British treated the Americans like a bunch of bumpkins, a bunch of hicks, the inferior creatures. And here's the Americans doing this, all this fighting to, to help the British Empire, to help the British become wealthier and more powerful. And Washington resented. He actually went uh, out of his way all the way from Virginia up to Boston, which was a big deal in those days, to meet with the top British generals, and that they wouldn't do it. So any American officer was automatically considered a grade below any British officer. And, you know, Washington's doing all the fighting, and he resented it, and so did a lot of other Americans. So he was to use the parlance of our times, bummed out, and he resigned and went home. And then he met Martha Custis. Yeah, I think he thought his fighting days were over. And he's, you know, it's, he'd been on the frontier fighting for five years. Um, and he wanted to take care of his farm. He'd inherited uh, Mount Vernon, which wasn't even Mount Vernon yet. It was just a farm that his half-brother left him. He wanted to take care of that, settle down, and live the life of a of, of an English country gentleman, which at the time was the, the most respectable thing Americans were supposed to aspire to. Uh, and on his, on his way home, I think he stopped off because he'd heard that somebody he had met, this young woman, Martha, uh, she'd just been widowed, and he stopped to pay his respects to her. He paid his respects apparently all night. I see. Uh, and by the next day, yeah, and you, 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 can't, you can't do much with it. You can't prove these things, but he sent his servant home and said, you take the horse, I'll be fine, I'll be right here. And then by the next day, he was already engaged. Now, didn't he have a crush on somebody for the longest time, and he almost embarrassed himself by continuing to kind of follow her around and write her letters? Wasn't this something, the, the one that got away? It was, it was his neighbor's wife. Um, she was just a few years older than he was, a beautiful young woman. She'd married the son of a British nobleman who lived in, in that part of Virginia. It's, it's now where Fort, Fort Belvoir is in, in, in northeastern Virginia. And he, and he was invited all the time over to the house of this English lord and the English lord's son. And he, he, he was really knocked out, you could say, by this young woman. And it, it was an innocent flirtation, as far as we can tell. But he took it seriously. And he kept writing her, well, you can't call it anything else. They were sort of love notes until she finally said, you know, you can't keep this up. You just can't. 
Uh, my husband wouldn't be very happy if he found out about this. Wasn't it kind of so out of they, ca- out of character for him? It wasn't very gentlemanly to be doing what he was doing. Well, it was out of character. It was certainly not gentlemanly. But George had a problem. George was six four and a half. The average guy was five foot six. Uh, so he's this tall, lanky, this big guy, uh, and he, he frightened women, I think. Uh, and, and you have him writing, he's got really good at writing this one letter that he would send uh, to a young woman. Uh, and the young girl's fathers liked him far more than the young girls did. They wanted they wanted their daughter to marry this, this guy, this up-and-coming, uh, big, handsome um, fellow. But there were a lot of one-way correspondences. The women weren't answering back. Uh, so... He, he didn't have much of a of a love life, uh, but he was he was just smitten by the the girl next door. It wasn't going anywhere. But when he's out on the frontier, he's he's yearning, he's longing, and he came he came back from from the war. His health was almost broken, and she came over and she sort of nursed him back to health. But it was very clear from that time on it was over. I was going to ask this question later on, but I have only a couple of minutes, and this is. A question with a two-minute answer, probably. Talking about his teeth, we hear all about his teeth. They were not wooden teeth, but I understand that his denture was made up of slaves' teeth, his own teeth, and animal teeth, and pieces of metal. Well, yeah. Well, he he, he didn't have very good uh, orthodonture, shall we say, on the frontier. They were eating just raw meat most of the time. So he was beginning to lose his teeth by the time he was 26 years old, like, like front teeth. Uh, so he was always having to try to get dentures. And when he was in the Continental Congress a few years after this, there was a there was a man who came to Philadelphia from Switzerland. He tried to live and make a living as a painter, but he to, to support himself he made dentures. They were made out of cow bone, or his specialty was hippopotamus tooth. And he would make these dentures and send them to Washington. Washington would try them out send them back. And and we actually can find the notes back and forth between them. On the third set of dentures, um, the, the dentist sort of gave up and said, I don't know what you're doing to these, but they're turning brown. Are, are you soaking these in port wine or something? Well, yeah, he drank a lot of Madeira, right? He was drinking about a bottle of, of Madeira uh, oh. after dinner every night, and that was typical. Uh, that's that's what you either drank a bottle of wine if you had the money, or if you were a sailor or a working man, you had two shots of rum every day. And if you were um, on the frontier and you could get it, you drank beer. Washington did not like beer. Well, yes, he did. I correct myself. Washington preferred beer to just about anything else. Well, that's good to know. A, a bottle a day, if it's good enough for George Washington, I think that's good enough for me. I don't want to get into, we'll get into the statesman part after this, but I only have about 45 seconds, so I'll wait till after the break. For those of you listening live, please know that we have a, this will be podcast. You can share it with somebody that you think might like to hear all about George Washington. This is Willard Stern Randall, author of George Washington, A Life. I know a lot of you like history and history of the founders and particularly biography. So this is for you. And again, the podcast, it's just the Jay Talking Podcast. Go to your iPhone, see the little purple icon, hit it, type in Jay Talking, and then subscribe. Voila. 
Or you can just get the iHeart app, or you can just Google JTalk, and then it's the first thing to come up. We have another half to go. This is sort of a little halftime. We'll continue talking about George Washington on WBZ. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's get into his, well, career as a statesman, I guess, for lack of a better thing. He, uh, how did he get his feet wet in that area? Well, when he was through with his frontier fighting stage, um, the natural thing for him to do was to run for the legislature uh, in, for his district, uh, because for one thing, he had he had the military vote. He had the soldiers that, that he had led. Uh, he knew he would he would vote for them. And and what you did at the time is you threw a big party on election day. And you, the, when you say the polls, the polls literally were people standing on, on two sides of, of a field with polls, and you either went to the one and it was a vote for him or you went to the other. Well, the first time he ran, somebody was giving out more booze and more food at the other poll, so he lost. He learned his lesson from that time on. He got very good at entertaining the voters. Ah, so, so the, he was in the, a, a polling place was an actual poll. It was an actual poll. Yes, you went to one poll or the other where the candidates were. I love that. So, yeah. well, you know, it, it's, an, it's an old tradition. It, in, in the 19th century, they didn't have the poll. They just gave you the booze. Um, and you had a political machine as a result. But uh, yeah, So he, he got elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses, and he would, he would say very little. But when he said anything, they listened. It was in the few possible words. Uh, and they uh, they respected him from his military background and also because he was he was married to the wealthiest widow in Virginia so now he's a very big man so he 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 was the one sent from Virginia along with the other delegates to the first continental congress in Philadelphia and and, and he he's the only one who showed up in a uniform uh, he was giving a hint to the others that if you want somebody to be the leader of your army I'm your man and and they did John John Adams nominated him, and George Washington be, came from Congress to become commander in chief of the Continental Army, which was one man himself at the time. Was he sending a message that he felt it was time to take up arms by wearing that uniform? Yeah, I think I think he came slowly to it. Uh, we, we, the British were taxing, 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 taxing everything. Americans had to buy everything from England, and they were taxed for everything. Uh, back in America, and he was going into debt, and this man hated debt. He was having to to, to charge everything on credit in England, and he was really opposed to that because he knew that the English were stacking the decks by passing laws that made him impossible to get out of debt. So at first, he wanted economic sanctions, and, and, and there were. The Americans actually stopped buying a lot of British goods. The British market collapsed. A lot of people went out. But the British then responded by sending over troops. Uh, so from that time on, he says, you know, this is inevitable. Sooner or later, we're going to have to fight them. So I don't want to get out of order here, but can you talk about the Fairfax Resolves? 
Well, Fairfax was his district, and and basically they got together and said, all right, uh, one, we're not we're going to boycott British goods, any British imports, including slaves, until the British take off these tax laws that they keep slapping on us. Um, so that was the first thing. They formed something called the Association. All the businessmen, all the importers and merchants had to sign up for this. If they didn't, then the other members of the association might visit their business or their store, and it could get very rough for them. So he's, the Fairfax Resolve said, until the British take back their laws that they piled on us since the French and Indian Wars, uh, we're, got, we're not going to do any business with them whatsoever. Uh, and and they have and they had to take off all of the restrictions that they had put on. You you couldn't you couldn't make a hat. You couldn't make glass. They were shipping shiploads of glass from England. You had to buy it. Uh, you couldn't make iron. You couldn't make a nail when you were trying to uh, fix your barn. Everything had to come from the British, and all your exports had to go to them. And this was just too much for Washington. We're with Willard uh, Stern Randall, author of George Washington: A Life. I, I feel like I interrupted you. Sorry. That's all right. All right. Uh, but he, he, he organized Virginia, basically, and started to raise a militia for himself. All right. Now, as you mentioned, he wore his uh, uniform to the Second Continental Congress, kind of sent a message that, hey, maybe it's time for, uh, to take up arms, and if you need to do that, I'm probably your guy. And on the 15th, they made him the boss, but he really wasn't he, – he was a, he's used to commanding small groups of people in the, in the woods – he wasn't really experienced or prepared to fight the British on the British terms, large amounts of large numbers of men, large amounts of equipment, keeping everybody supplied. He was not used to that, and that probably caused him problems in the beginning. It caused him problems for one thing, because he was coming from Virginia, where if you were a plantation owner and you had a lot of slaves and a lot of white people working for you as well, you were the absolute boss. When when the when the revolutionary fighting began at Lexington and Concord, then you've got all these New England men, many of them veterans of the French and Indian Wars, uh, and they elect their own officers. Nobody tells them what to do. They choose their officers. They elect them. And here comes George Washington up from Virginia, and he's behaving very much like a British general. He had real problems uh, getting any discipline going. He actually had to set up a jail and put the the, the, the most disobedient or the drunks, etc., in, in, in jail. Uh, and he, he had to introduce military discipline without losing the men. So he had a rough go. As far as supplies, the problem was you had 13 different colonies, uh, and they would promise what they would send, uh, but they didn't, they didn't always keep their promises. So he had supply problems. He had discipline problems. Uh, he sort of made the, the, the army spit and polish. Officer had to show up in their uniform, or, or they were disciplined. Uh, they had uh, uh, they had uh, a chaplain saying prayers at the beginning of a day. I mean, it, it, to a lot of Americans, this was unrecognizable, except it looked very much like the British Army. But he knew the only way to uh, to defend against the British was to be better at it than they were. He what he needed most of all was cannon. And those were captured by Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold at Fort Ticonderoga in what is now Vermont and hauled across the, the, the mountains 
following the route of, of the Mass Pike now, so that Washington had artillery by April of 1776. Uh, so he gradually made a modern army uh, and in, imposed discipline, worked out problem supply, even got artillery, and it was amazing that by uh, April of 1776, the British actually had to leave Boston. Um, he, he had turned things around in just one year. Right. Uh, they left on evacuation day, as you know. We, we celebrate that today. Right. Are there any stories yeah. of how he instilled discipline? Uh, like, there must be whippings, or he must have made an example out of soldiers. He he didn't. I I haven't seen him allowing flogging, which is what the British did, where they could, they could, you know, one punishment was up to five hundred lashes on your bare back. I mean, you're you're just raw meat by the time you got through with that, which is one of the reasons a lot of Americans who'd fought in the French and Indian Wars on the British side, discipline problems, uh, they hated the British. Uh, you know, they they were walking around with scars for the rest of their lives. That's not how he did it. If you if there were infractions, basically he put you in the huskow. He locked you up overnight or for as long as it took. But your your punishment was actually to go off with Benedict Arnold uh, and attack Canada. I mean, the the guys who went off to attack Quebec, uh, they emptied the jailhouse. Uh-huh. These guys wanted to get get out of jail. They were they were tough. They were willing to fight, and they'd rather fight the British than each other. Uh, the worst punishment was desertion. If you were if you tried to desert to the British army or or or, or from the American army, um, th- th- there were executions. Um, I've documented thirty four times that w- during the Revolution that Washington had all the troops form up and watch an execution. But it had to be pretty extreme. They were either traitors or they were they were deserters or they had killed somebody, uh, another soldier. Uh, but th- there was a code of behavior. Uh, they, they knew they would get in trouble with George if they didn't follow it. And, and it was personal. I mean, he'd be in his headquarters at Cambridge, Massachusetts, trying to do his paperwork, and there'd be uh, fighting outside, down on the ground, outside his window. And he actually went down and he thrashed a man. Uh, I mean, George Washington was was a, a pretty good wrestler, yeah. and he personally wrestled with a man. And boy, that that got the message across. Eleven thousand soldiers holed up in Valley Forge. You know, we hear I hear about it, but I've never really drilled down on what it was like there. What can you do for my for my understanding of Valley Forge? Well, Washington's army had been outmaneuvered by the British who took Philadelphia, and Washington led his army out into the hills about 25 miles west of the city, and they built log cabins. Um, they they didn't have uh, much food. Uh, they didn't have very – many of them didn't have shoes, and when they were on duty, they would pool and get the best pair of – With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
shoes that somebody in each cabin had to take their, take their, their, their duty. Uh, there was no fresh meat. At one point, the soldiers all started chanting, meat, 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 as the officers rode by. So it was a starving time, but Washington kept an army intact within 25 miles of the British Army. He would not surrender. So when you had an army in the field, then you, the, the politicians could go on with the revolution as well. So it was, it was a very hard time for them. But while they were there, a, a German officer came over named Baron von Steuben, who trained officers in in Europe, and he this man could swear in four languages at the same time. Luckily, he had a translator, Alexander Hamilton, and they trained a hundred men at a time. And those hundred men went out and trained another hundred men. And in about six weeks, they 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 trained all of Washington's army with modern tech t- tactics for maneuver, so they could come out fighting the next spring. So they didn't waste their time. It was well spent. Right. And now the story of. Trenton. Trenton was a, a, a garrison of German soldiers. They're called Hessians, but they're not all from this, that part of Germany. And they were out on the on the on the fringes of the British Army in the winter of 1775. They had chased Washington uh, across New Jersey. Washington's on the on the on the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware, uh, and. The, the, the German soldiers all had a wonderful party on Christmas Eve, and they woke up with George Washington and his army in the street with cannon at either end of the street, uh, and they were mauled. Washington had actually led his men in open boats across the Delaware, it through the ice, marched 25 miles, took Trenton by surprise, and captured nearly a thousand German troops in one day. Uh, totally shocked the British. How, then how three many, days later, how many men me. did they did he ferry over in these open boats? He ferried over nearly two thousand men, which is what he had had, had left of, of an army. He had got reinforcements by then coming from Philadelphia, etc. So either ferried or marched up from Philadelphia. Uh, he, he outnumbered the the, the 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 British and the French, and he fought them three days later at Princeton and beat them again. Man, so they had to withdraw their troops all the way to New York. So he, he he rallied the army. What made the Hessians uh, feel like they'd have a party? Did they... Well, they they had no idea that they were going to be attacked. You know, they're, these are professional soldiers. It's Christmas time. You you know, have some schnapps. You have a lot of food. Uh, yeah, then you have a good night's sleep. And here's this guy coming in a snowstorm uh, on foot across the river, and you did, they, they had no idea. It was, a, it was a sneak attack. I love that story. So fast forward, due to the constraints of time, Washington is chosen to be president by the electors. It was a foregone conclusion, I'm guessing, and uh, Adams, vice president. Now, Washington had to invent what the presidency was, is, was slash is. For one thing... Yes, for one thing, he invented what he should be called. John Adams wanted to give him a big, glorious title. George Washington said, Mr. President, and he's been Mr. President ever since. Uh, he, he set things up so he could meet the public once a week, uh, like an open house, 
uh, once a week, and Martha would be there with him, the first lady. They didn't call her that yet, but Martha would be there, uh, and officers and ordinary citizens could meet him like a Friday night get-together at 9 o'clock. Uh, they both rose and went up to their room, and, and, and it was over. But he also it was a plain, simple style. He, he kept wearing just a black long coat, like white uh, scarf and shirt underneath it. And actually, at one point, the new British ambassador came over and went to the front door. Uh, this is in New York City and asked for to see the president. Uh, and Washington disappeared, and somebody said, "You just met him." Wow! He, he was he was answering the door himself. So you, uh, he chose not to wear his military uniform. He chose to be a civilian. That's right. He chose to be a civilian because he believed that Congress should be in charge of the the presidency and the army. And he was from Congress. He got his power from being in Congress. And he never got over that. He always asked Congress for permission. Uh, But then a lot of times he didn't follow it because uh, they didn't know what they were doing. So he appointed a cabinet, which was only three men, uh, his attorney general, his, his secretary of, the, of, of, of uh, state, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander Hamilton, the secretary of the treasury. And he had a cabinet meeting uh, every Tuesday afternoon. He told them what he wanted to know about. They had to report by the next week, written reports, and then he would decide what to do. So he... he, he he kept a civilian government, but he ran it like a general. Any other conventions that we see today as presidential, uh, the result of his choices? Well, for one thing, uh, he, he he came up with a State of the Union. It was in writing at first because he was, he was not a great speaker. I think it's because of the bad dentures. Right. Um, but when he was inaugurated, it was on a, on a Bible in public. He went to church. He wouldn't go to communion because he wouldn't bend his knee to anybody. He sat in a gold chair uh, in what is now uh, Trinity Church, where the the first responders to the World Trade Center uh, went. uh, He sat in a gold chair there uh, in the back of the church in a box, but nothing royal. That's as close as he got. And when it came to the point where you're supposed to go down on your knee at an Anglican communion, he got the the carriage and went home. That's interesting. Go ahead. So he was separating church and state, but he was also setting things up. So he was commander in chief, but Congress had the power from the people. Okay. So there was real opposition to a, uh, a constitution in the beginning or a formal government, right? Uh, Patrick Henry, Sam Adams. I'm not sure what I'm not sure what they wanted. What What did they want if they didn't want rules or a constitution? Or- well. They wanted a written constitution because they had never had one. England never had a written constitution. It's all sort of oral and historical and all that. So they wanted to set down some rules, uh, and, and, and they, uh, they argued among themselves for four months in Philadelphia, the Constitutional Convention, to just exactly how much power should the president have. Hamilton wanted the president to be president for life. Uh, somebody else wanted seven years. They finally negotiated that the president would be elected for four years. Uh, but they then what? What was Congress made up of? Franklin did not want a Senate. He didn't want an upper house where you had only the rich and the powerful. He wanted everybody 
directly responsible to the people. But the wealthy people, John Jay said, the people who own the country should rule it. And that was the attitude of a lot of the aristocrats if they were going to stay on board. So you wound up with a Senate elected for a longer term, six years, and the House of Representatives for two. But then how do you decide? The South actually, Madison got through a, a, a rule that said a slave counted for three-fifths of a human being. So every time a Southerner voted, if he had 500 slaves, he had 300 votes from the slaves and one for himself. So every time a Southerner voted, he had three. This is what led to the Civil War. This is the thing they never figured out. Let's talk a little bit finally about Shays' Rebellion and why it was important in, in that it sort of made Washington see that we, we needed to have a, a stronger central government. What happened was in Boston, um, wealthy merchants got control of the legislature, and instead of paying off the war debts themselves, uh, paying, paying off bonds, uh, war debts from the revolution, they shifted things over and decided on property taxes. Well, Washington's soldiers, a lot of them were in, West, in the Berkshires in western Massachusetts. They didn't have any money. They, they hadn't been paid in money. They'd been paid in 100 acres of land for, for their years of fighting and suffering. So all of a sudden, they're being told, you've got to pay off the debts. And they said, no. Uh, Daniel Shays and a few others gathered their men, and they marched on the courts. Whenever the courts started to foreclose on these mortgages for nonpayment of taxes, they shut down the courts. The Boston merchants put together an army of unemployed people and marched out to the arsenal. Um, and and uh, um, you, you had a pitch battle, um, uh, Shays Rebellion. You had a pitch battle with cannon fire, Americans firing on Americans. And so the Boston merchants and their army actually did uh, defeat Shays and his rebels, who mostly fled to Vermont. Some 4,000 of them went up there, and, and you get a lot of towns that have the same names as Massachusetts. Washington was terribly frightened about this. He thought, oh, my God, we're going to go back to revolution. We're going to be fighting among ourselves. So he thought the only answer to this was to have a central government where he could have a U.S. Army for emergencies and not a bunch of people going out and hiring hired goons. Um, and he went along with Hamilton and the others who wanted a federal-style government, central government in the capital, uh, where things were settled by Congress uh, and where the president was elected. Willard Stern, Randall, I love it when you come on. You, you're so detailed. Thank you again for spending the, the, the hour with us. The book we're talking about tonight is George Washington, A Life. Thanks for you know filling in some uh, details that I was missing on the, the life of George Washington. Thank you very much, Willard Stern. It's been a lot of fun for me, too, Bradley. Thank you very much. Talk to you real soon, I hope. Okay. I hope so, too. WBZ. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.